listening to First Church Charlotte. All right. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Great to be in the house of the Lord with all of you. You may be seated. Uh, I, I just want to start out by saying I don't know my, why my wife was ugly to me earlier. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't be a mother. And so... It, I want you to know I did my part. It was difficult, but I, I, I persevered, and I did my part, and I, I made this her day through no small amount of effort on my part, I might shall say. But I better move along before I get in trouble. Amen. Amen. Love you all. God bless you all. Uh, uh, honored to serve the Lord with you and worship the Lord with you. And I want to say if you're visiting with us today and you haven't filled out a Connect card, um, I want to let you know, first of all, we do not nag you when we get your information. We have a no-hassle policy. Uh, however, we will try to start getting to know you and letting you know about events and whatnot. Uh, so if you haven't filled this out and put it in one of the boxes in the back, um, please do. It enables us to begin the process of getting to know you. And the reason why we want to get to know you is because we aren't a church family until we start to get to know each other. And so on one hand, it's you opening your heart to us. And on the other hand, it's us opening our heart to you. So I want to make you aware of that so you can get your information uh, in our hands. Uh, I am, uh, let's see, my wife and I are leaving tomorrow. Uh, this is our 25th anniversary trip. Uh, actually, I think like seven years ago, the church gave us an offering to go on this trip, and uh, we bought a trip. I'm talking a while back, and then on uh, the we were on our way to go. Um, we had uh, reason. Uh, my grandmother passed literally on the way to the airport, and so that was the first year. And then two years of COVID, and so although we've been married for about 45 years, this is our 25th. Our 25th uh, anniversary trip. And let me tell you what I like about it most. Um, it's been paid for for years. It's like a free trip. That is fantastic, man. It's like, I want to do it like this more often. So uh, anyway, uh, that, uh, next Sunday, Pastor Jonathan Moran will be preaching for us. And the Sunday following, my brother, uh, Pastor David Elms, David Timothy Elms from South Florida will be here preaching for us. Uh, I, As I told the earlier service, he is a much better preacher than I am, but I'm a mildly better Christian than he is. So... Um, <laughs> And so uh, you will enjoy it. Uh, let him speak into your life. Uh, he's one of my favorite preachers, and so uh, make sure to be here on that day. And if you would like to say something like to him like this, great ministry, really appreciate it, but I want you to know, I think that my, your brother has preached that before. Uh, just, 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 just go ahead and bless me. Um, and if you'd like to catch him afterwards and say, you know what, I'm pretty sure that those notes, did, has Pastor Nathan preached those before? I'm just cutting up. Uh, we both use each other's stuff whenever uh, we come across something that we might can use. And unless, if you don't know it, it's not just us. All pastors are looking for content. Uh, that's why you should know that whenever you tell a pastor something, there is a 50-50 chance it will be used in a sermon. 
And so um, I'm preaching today on this subject, which is simply uh, limitless, limitless. And I want to talk about the difference in uh, scarcity mindset that is natural for uh, us, natural for the flesh, natural for our hearts, a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset, which if we are going to get to a mindset of spiritual abundance, we're going to have to have real spiritual transformation in our life. Now, I don't want to rush past that because I want, I'm going to say it and say it again. If we want to be transformed, uh, not just have our uh, behavior modified, if we're going to be transformed, then what we have to have in our life is a change in our mind, a change in our thinking. So I'm reading Romans chapter number 12, and we're going to read verse number 2, do not be conformed to this world. Somebody say conformed with me. Do not be conformed to this world. It's natural for us to be formed by what is around us. It is natural for us to be influenced by the society we are in, the workplace we are in. I, would li- I wish that we could say we are not easily influenced, but if I've learned one thing about humanity, it's this, that we... If without even intending to, we'll take on the mindset, the emotions of the people around us. So you put, uh, put yourself with happy people and you'll notice that you start being happier. Uh, put yourself with depressed people and you'll notice you begin to fight uh, depression. Uh, put you with faithful people, you'll find faith growing in your life. And this is one of the reasons why it is so important for you to be embedded in the body of Christ where you can be influenced by other believers all around you. And can I have a great big amen? Amen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How are we transformed? By the renewing of your mind. We'll talk about that more in just a little bit. So that you may prove what is the what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's normal for us to be formed by the world around us, but we have an opportunity through God, to have our minds changed. And if we have our minds changed, we are then able to prove what the will of God is. Now, let me just say, it's possible that the trouble you are facing in your life was not the perfect will of God for you, but is a type of coping mechanism in your life that you are finding yourself in because you did not live with a transformed mind. However, if your mind is transformed from a carnal way of viewing, it is possible that having had your mind changed by the power of God, you are ready to prove out the will of God in your life. It's going to be good. It's going to be acceptable. And it is going to be perfect in God. So what we are invited to, my brother, my sister, is a a transformation of our minds from the way of the flesh to the promise of the Spirit. Um, So I am uh, wanting to use this word to describe this transformation, and that is this word limitless, this sense that in God all things are possible. 
uh, if we're not careful as, as Christians, we can have this a set of phrases that we say one to another, and we get excited about, but we do not live as though they are true. We say them, we celebrate them, but we do not live as though we, they are true. Um, we are, if we're not careful, always tempted to let our Christianity be another form of clever coping on our part, whereby we, through our problem-solving, through our cleverness, we try to live this life, and oh, by the way, we're also Christians. That is not what we are being invited to do. We are being invited to a life of real spiritual transformation. And so it's a change of uh, I'm limited, I'm lonely, I'm weak, I am not enough to a mindset of God is able, God is great, and God is enough. I want to, first of all, give a shout out to all of our mothers here today. I, uh, I want to say to all of our mothers, you, you are the first and perhaps greatest blessing that God gives any of us, and uh, I, I think it's true on a level that is so profound that it becomes a type of spiritual example. When, when God wants to convince people that there is no way in heaven or in earth or under the earth that he could forget them, he uses the image of a mother forgetting her child, her baby. And he says, what mother could forget her baby? Uh, Even if that were to happen, I could never forget you. As if the Lord surveyed all of the commitments and obligations in the human story. And he said, the highest commitment that you guys will know is that first love, that first commitment of a mother to a child. And then God says, look at that. Learn from that. That's how committed I am to you. We are all made rich by having placed in our life uh, our mothers, and I, uh, I want to say this to all of our mothers. Uh, one of the things I admire most about mothers is how they will take whatever limitations they have and still try to make their kids' life great. Um, how many of you grew up poor? Raise your hand. If you grew up, maybe you, you thought you were poor anyway. I've got my kids convinced we're poor, but honey, we... <laughs> Comparatively speaking, we ain't poor. You know, I took my, I went shopping yesterday and took Ellery with me. And uh, I, I, she, she thinks, she, you know, she, she's Sister Fancy. She can't go shopping without getting something. And uh, so she came over and she had some pink flip-flops and she wanted me to buy these pink flip-flops. And I acted like it was going to take the last dime of the rent. But I went ahead and bought them anyway. <laughs> Now, I didn't have to be tricked by my parents to grow up poor. I, I grew up pretty poor, at least until my, uh, until my teens, my mid-teens. Uh, I, I didn't feel like I was as poor as much. Um, but up till then, I, I grew up very, very poor. And the, one of the greatest things about moms, and dads too, but, you know, we'll mention you on Father's Day, but we'll only mention you once and keep on moving because dads, you know, um, here's your socks. Now go back to your chair. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Um, and so, um, <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry, I'm cutting up. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I love to have fun. I love to laugh. Life's short. You might as well rejoice and be glad. And um, so that means I cut up a lot. That's my personality. So mom, a mom, I have seen so many of you moms, and I've known, uh, sometimes you've had better circumstances than others, but I've seen so many moms in this church who whether or not you had two nickels to jingle in your pocket, you tried to make your kids great. If you had the money to go fancy, you'd go fancy. But if you didn't have the money, you didn't just tell your kids. You would go try to find something at a consignment store. You would try to make their life great. And so in spite, watch this, of your limits, you tried to give your scent, your kids not a sense of limits, but a sense of this great life. It was, a, it was something you did uh, as a gift to your children. I want you to know we see you and we honor you today for that. I want to tell a personal story. When I was, when I think I was uh, eight or nine, and uh, we were, my, we had been here in Charlotte. When I say we, I say my, me and my mom and dad. Um, although once I came to the church, the church started having revival right away. And so I was only five years old, but man, God started moving as soon as they got me there. And <laughs> that's funny. I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> Uh, and the first few years was rough. Um, my mother uh, worked as a secretary or slash whatever else at a small finance company that was uh, not far from here. And uh, she uh, started about three twenty-five an hour, I think it was. She brought home the big bucks, stacking that coin. I'll never forget when she got a raise to $5 an hour. Holy cow, we were breaking it down. Finally got a piece of the pie, y'all. <laughs> and uh, my dad worked for a while as a night manager at Ramada Inn over Eastway and uh, Sharon Amity, or Eastway and Independence. So just so you know, for me, this city is haunted. Everywhere I go, there's a story. There's a story. If you grew up here, you know what I'm talking about. So um, we were were quite poor. Um, uh, We lived in this terrible little house that uh, me and my brother hunted the rats in with BB guns. True story. Um, We killed rats in the house with BB guns, but it was the best we could afford, and uh, we eventually uh, found a house. When I say we, you know, I I include them, but I did most of the work. You know, I was seven, six, seven years old, and, um, uh, you know, things got better because just like your life, if if you're disciplined, you're focus, you work hard, you know, you can move your life in a positive direction. Don't ever tell yourself otherwise, because the moment you tell yourself otherwise, you might as well just quit. Always, always tell yourself there's something better. Anyway, my mom and dad loved going to religious conferences. We didn't go on many vacations, but we never missed a general conference, bless God. They were like, these children need as much Jesus as they can get, or they're not going to make it to heaven. And so uh, we, didn't, we didn't take vacations, but we went to general conference. We were so broke. And I'll never forget, I was, just, I was at the age where you could give me you know, a, a pair of pants and a shirt, and everyone thought that I was a dashing young man. But my sister was 16, and she was beautiful 16. She was just a beautiful girl. And um, we were broke. I mean, we were so broke that the six-year-old knew we were broke. And uh, I mean, the, 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 I, I, we were so broke, I was on the school lunch program. All, all my friends had lunch money. I had to go line up in the poor kid's line. It was worth it. And uh, you got to eat, y'all. Got to eat. I don't care if y'all pay. I'm going to eat. <laughs> Anyway, you know, we were going to conference, and my, my mom decided, you know, she wanted her 16-year-old girl who was 
prettier than all the other girls there. She wanted her to be fancy, and she knew a lot of the girls there came from a little bit more well-off backgrounds, and they were going to be as fancy as they can be. So my mom, months or at least weeks, probably months before General Conference, entered into conspiracy of beauty with her 16-year-old daughter, and she decided that she was going to make that girl as fancy as fancy could be. But there was a problem, no money. This is a tribute to all you mothers who took limits you took limits, but you tried to give your kids a sense of limitless potential. And so they went down, I think it was Haverty's was the name of that ungodly store that I had to go to and wait in. And um, I, I got so bored in there one day, I hid. True story. I hid. I went in between the shelves of clothing and hid. And my mother had to go to the counter and call over the intercom, uh, uh, Nathan Elms. I was like, keep on calling, honey. I ain't coming out. <laughs> Um, and so she, they went, her and my sister Melody went and picked out, they first they went to South Park where we couldn't afford. They looked at all the fancy designs and then they went and got patterns. Y'all don't know, y'all have too much money to know what a pattern is, but a pattern, you would buy it and then you pin it to cloth, you cut it out and you sew it together. And then after fasting and prayer, voila, spelled with a V. And so the idea here was that we didn't have the money unless we DIY. And so her and my sister, they went down, they got the patterns, they made every dress, and that year at conference, my sister was as beautiful as she has ever been in her, her life, all because her mother said, I don't have much, but I'm not going to raise you to think that you don't have much. We will find a way. So all you mothers, I want to first of all bless you today in the name of Jesus. I want to bless you. And I want to say to you, every time you hid trouble from your kids and gave them a sense of limitless possibility, uh, you gave a beautiful example to them of how the Lord works in our life. We come from limits. We come from struggle. We come from limitation. But the Lord is always there saying there's more than you could ever imagine. You need to change. Be transformed in your mind and believe that there is more than the limits you are facing right now. Living a life of faith, my brother, my sister, requires a change of your mind. It requires a transformation, not a conformation. The world requires you to conform. You conform. God invites you to be transformed. And this is what the Apostle Paul, not just here, but almost every book of the New Testament, is giving us is an invitation to believe that serving God changes us from a scarcity mindset, barely going to make it, barely going to have victory, holding on to a different kind of story that goes like this. The great God of all eternity is my friend. The one who has the cattle on a thousand hills is on my side. Faith requires me to live as though I know everything is going to be okay. Oh, praise God, somebody. You see, let me talk for a moment about uh, the difference in transformation or let me say it this way, the difference in uh, transformation and or uh, transformed and conformed. Um, you see, I am, I am a big believer in behavior modification, okay? Now, all the parents in the church say amen. I'm a big believer in behavior modification. All children need to have their behavior modified. Can I have another big amen? Amen. 
So to our children and our young, our young, uh, our teenagers, I, I want you to know that the world will require you to moderate your behavior and modify your behavior for the rest of your life. But your mom and dad are the only ones who are going to do it with love. And this is one of the reasons why you need to honor your father and your mother. Because in no other relationship in your life are they going to love you while they require you to moderate your behavior. And so you need to honor your father and mother. Let me just say a little bit more on this. In fact, your father and mother is the only relationship in your life that no matter how bad of a circumstance your life was, they would hug you just as much and they would kiss you just as much and they would spend just as much money on you. you I told the, some of the kids that were in here this morning, you could have been born without a nose and ears and your mom would have kissed you just as much. She would have loved you just as much. Honor your mother and your father. And so uh, all of our relationships, whether it's employment, whether it is uh, dating and marriage, uh, you try to get someone to marry you who doesn't think you're pretty. It's very, very interesting project. Some of you guys are in that project, but they don't like you, and honey, they're not into you, and you just can't see it. Just let that be a blessing to you. I'm here to give you hope. Um, (laughs) But you understand, if any of you have ever been in a relationship where it was one-sided, you know how crazy it is, how heartbreaking it is. Uh, The parental relationship is unique in that uh, it is not dependent on any attractiveness, any ability, anything you have. They just love you. I'm a big believer in behavior modification and of advice. I want you to hear me. This has spiritual consequences. The advice the world gives you is behavior modification, not transformation. Let me say it again. The advice the world gives you is behavior modification, not behavior transformation. The world will teach you how to manage your symptoms. Uh, The world will teach you how to cope with your troubles. But the world can never show you how to get to the root of the problem. And because the world does not perceive, understand, or have insight into the root of the problem, the world never offers you transformation. This is why Jesus can stand before all the ages and say, the truth will set you free, and also I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The transformation that Jesus can offer you is not behavior modification. It's not a form of coping. It is about you seeing the lie that is in the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eye and the pride that works against the spirit. And once you see the deception of the enemy, now you're ready for transformation. What is the difference? The difference is this. Um, When you keep a tiger in a cage, you modify its behavior. Uh, If you want to transform the tiger, uh, you're going to have to transform the desires of the tiger. And as long as that tiger growls and pretends to kill the piece of meat you threw over the fence, you're seeing a beast that's just dying to kill something. You need to modify that beast's behavior and keep it in the cage. Because if you don't, guess what? You're going to be 
on a destiny track with a tiger. Um, the tiger has to have a change of desires, hear me, or its behavior can never change. Uh, remember Finding Nemo? What are the sharks always saying? Fish are friends and not food. But what happens when there's a drop of blood in the water? They go crazy. Uh, why? They're trying to live with modified behavior, not transformed hearts. Why is is it that Nemo and whatever the other guy's name is don't try to eat anybody when there's blood in the water? Why? It's not in their nature. Let me say this again. You are not simply invited to being good enough where God owes you heaven. That is behavior modification. You're invited to be transformed by the Spirit of God where you see through the lies of the flesh. I'm, trying, I'm doing my best here today. I, I'm doing my best. I might need you to talk back to me a little bit because I'm feeling a little bit insecure. Because this is what I want you to see. It's not about you being the hero of the story where you're good enough, where you keep the rules, where you keep the law, that you are not the hero of the story or you're simply religious and not Christian. You see, all religions are based on this idea that I can influence God or gods in my behavior by how I act. Therefore, I'm the hero in the story. God is the immovable force. And so I modify myself to gain favor. I use formula, cleverness, and insight, and the God or God's favor me and bless me and protect me and keep me. That's the story of all religion. And that's why the Bible warns us against idolatry. God is not an unmovable force that can be manipulated or tricked are in some way motivated to serve you. You are not the hero in the story. You're uh, well, mm. Jesus is the hero in the story. And you're a worshiper. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I just said. I'm doing my best, Lord. I'm doing my best. You are not the hero in the story. You're the worshiper in the story. And Jesus is the hero. I'm not trying to get to a point where I'm good enough and I'm the hero of the story. The answer is not behavior modification. The answer is spiritual transformation. Now, let's be honest. Transformation doesn't usually uh, happen in a split second. It usually takes a little while, if you know what I'm saying. And so I'm all for every discipline I can have to protect me. Don't be simple. I'm all for all the discipline I have to protect me. Uh, but what I'm going for is not duty. What I'm going for is worship. I'm not going to try to force myself. I'm going to be transformed in my heart. So if we are invited to a life of faith, how do I know if I'm living a transformed life? Now, I'm going to give you a handful of things that are indicators that can help you answer the question of whether or not you're transformed life. Um, if you fail in these areas, I want to encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer and stop praying that you would be good enough, that is self-deception, and start praying that you would be transformed. Don't just repent of your sins. Ask for transformation. God, would you reduce the power of that lust in my life? 
What is the sin that is stalking you? It's not enough for you to grit your teeth and turn away. That's better than nothing. But what you're looking for is the kind of victory that turns into testimony. I've been transformed. I see through the lie of it. I see through the pleasure of the short-term solution. I want something more than that. Oh, God, I want your power to transform me. Do you feel that way today? I want to be changed into your power and into your glory. I want to be changed into your heart in Jesus' name. Our thoughts are the roots of our behavior patterns. So according to what Paul said, if we can renew our mind, it will express itself in the rest of our body. So uh, seven cues on whether or not uh, we are living a transformed life. So number one, if you live Live with hope, uh, you're probably living um, a transformed life because your confidence is in God. Uh, if you don't live with hope, then you're probably living a coping life, and your effort is uh, trying to be the hero in your old in your your own story. So the first sign of a transformed life is this ability to live with hope. This ability uh, to, uh, as it were, trust in God. Number two, uh, the impossible seems reasonable with God. You're living uh, without this sense of constraint. You're living a transformed life. Uh, you live in peace and find that you, you're able to overcome your worry. It's not that you stop worry from coming into your mind. It's that you eject worry once you realize it is in your mind and your speculations become positive. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 5. We are destroying the spe speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought, somebody say thought, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What are these speculations that we throw down? Speculation is just the negative what if in your life. The negative, what if this happens? What if that happens? The negative, what if? We are casting that down. It comes into your mind, you recognize it, you cast it down. Number four, you accept yourself and you work to better yourself. You see, if you don't work to better yourself, it means that you've lost hope. As long as you have hope in your life, you work to better yourself. So uh, you accept yourself, you work to better yourself, and here comes surrender. You learn to rejoice in your weakness, knowing that God made you the way you are, and he can provide strength in your life to make up the weakness that is in your life. When I'm weak, then he is strong. Number five, you find that you're able to give grace to other people freely. In other words, you don't hold offenses, and you know how to confront with kindness, empathy, and love. I want to emphasize that because a relationship where confrontation is not allowed is a relationship where one person is dominating the other. You have someone walking and someone being the mat. This is a toxic relationship. However, you need to learn how to stand up for yourself in kindness, empathy, and love, and can some religious folks say amen. Thank you very much. Uh, I want you to see this is a sign in 
in our life of something else. If you're unable to give grace to others, you are still living in a deception that you are the hero of your story and you're the good guys and everyone else is the bad guys. This is a deception that destroys grace in your life and will make it hard for you to forgive other people because you're convinced you're the good guy and they're the bad guy. And you judge yourself by what you intended to do and you judge them by what they actually did or it appeared that they did. This is a toxic lie that keeps you trapped in a life of limits. But once you understand you are not the hero in the story, you're the worshiper in the story, and Christ is the hero in the story, all of a sudden you're able to forgive somebody. You're able to say, look, it, maybe it was a bad idea, but let's move on now. Maybe you and I should never make another road trip, but let's move on now. Maybe we shouldn't plan another seven-day holiday trip together, but let's move on now. I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. There's one one who is good, I'm a worshiper. You give grace to others. You're living without limits. Number six, you live with thanksgiving. I cannot overemphasize this. Gratitude is a large part of mental health. Gratitude is a large part of mental health. What is the difference between arrogance and confidence? We say arrogance is bad and confidence is good. We say we want you to be confident. We don't want you to be arrogant. What is the difference between arrogance and confidence? I'm about to tell you. Gratitude. Number seven, you choose to see the good in others and you choose to give them the benefit of the doubt. You accept that you don't know other people's motives. Half the time you don't even know your own motives, but you understand since you aren't the good guy in the story, uh, Jesus is the good guy in the story, uh, you can have peace in your heart toward other people. These are seven examples. It's not all of them, but it's some of them of what it feels like to live in a world of spiritual transformation. You are not simply coping with drama by the cleverness of your mind, but you are allowing your mind to be renewed into real spiritual life. This is what it feels like to live without this crushing sense of limitations in your life. So let me clarify something I've already mentioned. Uh, I think it's helpful. On one hand, we have a scarcity mindset, and on the other hand, we have an abundance mindset. If you talk about scarcity mindset, you'll come across biblical words like uh, lacking. Uh, that's a scarcity mindset or wanting or needing. All of those are good biblical words for this scarcity mindset. And if you live there, you are focused upon uh, your limited resources and you're focused upon your overwhelming obligations. If you are like me, you find yourself sliding very easily into a world of limits, but overwhelming needs. Limits, but overwhelming needs. Um, it can be exhausting as you get older in life to realize you're living with this, this, this feeling of, am I enough? And you never feel like you are enough. Uh, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. And there comes this rebellion that starts to happen. For me, it started about 49, 50. There comes this rebellion in your life where you're sick of trying to be enough. Am I the only one, or is there anybody else who understands exactly what I'm talking about? You just, you just get sick of trying to be enough. And uh, there comes this point where, like the pistol-packing mama of ancient lore, you start laying that pistol down. 
um, uh, there's a better way to live. It is the abundance mindset, and the abundance mindset requires spiritual transformation of your mind. If your mind isn't transformed, you cannot live in an abundance mindset. You will live, hear me, hear me, hear me, in a coping mindset. And the reality of that is that you have chosen a religious life that is not the life of faith that the Lord invited you to. You see, the Lord invited you to a way of faith where in spite of limits, you choose to live as one who sees the limitlessness of God. And having chosen a way of faith, your life reaps the benefits of faith. This is a switch from scarcity. Let me say it this way, a switch from coping to a switch of abundance. And it goes like this. God has more than I will ever, ever need. Somebody say it with me. God has more than I will ever need. Tap your neighbor. Say it right to their face. God has more than you will ever need. This is the way my brother, my sister walk in it. My God has more than what I will ever need. This is the way my brother, my sister walk in it. God has more than you will ever need. This is the way you look at your empty wallet and say, God has more than I will ever need. You look at your failing health and you say, God has more than you ever need. Abraham, you look at your childless existence and you say, God said, I'm going to be the father of many nations and I choose to stand upon the promise of God. This abundance mindset is real spiritual transformation. The biblical words you'll find are words like abundance or abounding or plentiful. And the focus, just as uh, the scarcity mindset, the focus was on your limited resources and your overwhelming life. In an abundance mindset, the focus is on God's limitless resources and my overflowing life. Do you see how there's been a transformation of a circumstance? So I have saved verse number five of Psalms 23 now for five or six weeks, and I'm giving it to you today. Out of order, don't even care. I needed something for Mother's Day. To all our mothers, I give you this truth about serving God. My cup overfloweth. Mothers, more than many of us, live with a sense of limits, and they want the best for their kids, but they don't have a limitless pocketbook. They want the best for their children. They don't have limitless abilities. Here, I have a word for all of you mothers today, and that is this, my cup overfloweth. There is something about God's transformation in your life that you're going to be changed from a scarcity mindset. I don't have enough. I am not enough. You're going to be changed to an overflowing mindset, and it's simply is going to be this. God is able to do greater things than I can ever imagine. God is able to heal. He's able to uplift. He's able to keep me when I don't even know the trouble in my life. God is able. God is able. Psalms 23 and 5, NCV, you fill my cup to overflowing. ICB, you give me more than I can hold. Lord Jesus, we want to live that kind of life here at First Church. We want to be so filled with overflowing. To bless is the natural for us because we are overflowing with your goodness. And let the church say in Jesus' name. NIV, my cup overflows. What is my cup? 
This is an image that's going to be used many times in the Scripture. You need to learn it because if you struggle to learn from symbol and image, you're going to miss most of the spiritual teaching in the Bible, and you're going to miss most of the significant spiritual moments in your life, whether it is water baptism and the symbol of water baptism, whether it is spirit baptism and the symbol of tongues and related symbols of Holy Spirit manifestation in your life, whether or not it is the Lord's Supper. If you struggle with symbols, you're going to really miss a lot of what God has for you. So hear me today when I say this to you. Uh, The cup we're talking about is a biblical symbol of my life. John 7, verse number 37, Jesus stands up at the last day of the festival and he shouts to all the crowd. The Bible literally says he shouts to the crowds. If you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Everyone who believes in me will have rivers of living water flowing out of their lives. The cup that is overflowing is your life that is overflowing. So let me say it like this. You need to be saved from your scarcity mindset. And you need to be transformed by God into an abundance mindset. And you need to be able to look at the mountain and say, God's not impressed by you. I'll be honest with you, Mr. Mountain, I can be a little bit more impressed, but God is not impressed. In fact, let me tell you about God. (laughs) God can do it more on accident than I can do on purpose. (laughs) I want you all to see how our minds must be transformed to this limitless state of spiritual reality where we rejoice in the power of God. So what is the overflowing life? If Jesus is going to make a scene at the temple and invite everyone who believes on him, anyone who is thirsty for real spiritual life, uh, if he's going to invite them, we can at least ask, what is the overflowing life? Well, the first thing I would say shown in the images of scripture is that you are filled beyond your capacity. You are filled beyond your capacity. John 10 and 10, Jesus says, I've come that you may have real life and enjoy it to abundance, to abundance, to the fullness until it what? Until it what? Talk back to me. Until it what? Come on, say it louder. Until it what? This is a spiritual image. Whether it's faith, it needs to overflow. It needs to splash on someone else in your life. Whether it is healing, it needs to overflow. It needs to splash on someone else in your life. When God heals you, don't just stand in the church and wave your hand. Go find someone in need and say, God just healed me. I believe if God did it for me, he can do it for you. How many of you have been healed in recent, your recent memory of your life? I want to invite every one of you who have recently been healed to find somebody and say, I stand as a testimony, and I want the healing that God's done for me to splash over. I want it for you. How many of you have had a financial miracle in your life? Let me tell you, there's people in this church who need financial miracles. They are literally being oppressed by crushing financial realities. And God can make a difference in their life. And can some believers say amen? Don't you just get your blessing and come sit on the pew and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I like that song. Oh, Pastor Nate did good today. Oh, he's picking on Charlie too much. I don't like that. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, he's making his dad nervous again. Of course, he's Pastor Nathan. Have you learned nothing? You can't just receive and that be the end of the story. You have to say, oh, God is good. He splashed and filled and splashed and filled. I want to feel someone else. 
I've come, you may have real life, you may have it in abundance, you may have it to the fullness until it overflows. Jesus. <laughs> Isaiah 48, 17, I'm the holy God who rescue, rescues you for your own good. I teach you. I lead you along the right path. How I wish that you obeyed my commands. Then your success and good fortune would have what? Would have what? Talk back to me. Would have what? What would have done? Overflowed. Come on, talk back to me. What would have happened? What do I need in my life? I need it to overflow. This is the abundance mindset of the believer. Uh, and so I want to answer that first question, what is an overflowing life? It is to be filled beyond your capacity. Now I want to answer this question, how do I experience an, an overflowing life? I, I, let me make a confession here. I'm almost done. Uh, let me make a confession. When, I, when I, I, I was preparing this message here, I had looked through, I kind of found a, a handful of things that, you know, you probably could could have taught yourself pretty well. That's not bad. Uh, we uh, say a lot of things one to another that we need to say over and over and over because it's contrary to our flesh and we need to win that battle of spirit against flesh. Can I have an agreement in the house? Um, so it's, I, I make no apology for saying the same things over and over, um, but I, I, I had put it kind of in this more, uh, for, a, for a Bible teacher, it kind of felt more technical, and I, I, I got it all done and then I threw it all away. <laughs> I did because I was like, what? I need to make something simple that people can immediately apply, and they don't need to try to remember uh, uh, some kind of technical, as it were, teaching structure. And you make it simple. So I came up with four things that I believe are necessary to an overflowing life. So I'm going to give them to you, then I'm going to explain them. Number one, uh, my connection is directly related to whether or not I have a scarcity mindset or an overflowing mindset, the connection. Number two, the story I tell myself is directly related to to this issue. Number three, my habits are directly related, and finally, my heart. So, uh, my connection, my story, my habits, my heart. My connection, my story, my habits, my heart. This is where I decide whether or not this old brain of mine is stuck in a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset. In these areas, my connection, my story, Habits, my heart. Connection, story, habits, heart. All right, so I want to say this to you. With, if, you're not, if you're not connected to Jesus, there is no hope for an abundance mentality in your life. That is not some version of just your plan to deny reality as you experience it. Uh, reality is that which doesn't go away just because you don't believe in it. Reality is, is there. So you cannot believe in gravity, but gravity believes in you. <laughs> and uh, I'm not just going for a positive mental attitude. Now, I'm not against positive mental attitude. I happen to believe attitude is one of the biggest factors in our life. Let me just be honest. Uh, and I believe it is a function of faith that we present a positive attitude in almost every circumstance. I, I believe that. But I don't present it as a positive attitude. Why? Because to present it that way is to lead myself to believe that the answer is in me. And the answer is not in me. But by presenting it as faith, it's still positive attitude. But now I've changed where I am looking for the answer. 
The answer is not in me. The answer is in God. I need to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15 and 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you stay connected to me, you'll produce a lot of fruit, but you can't do anything without me. Same chapter, verses 7 through 11. If you stay connected to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like and it will be granted. This is spiritual abundance mindset. Ask anything you like and it will may be granted. Uh, My true disciples produce much fruit. This brings glory to my Father. So stay connected. Somebody say connected. Stay connected to my love. You stay connected to my love when you obey me. I've told you this so that you'll be filled with my joy. And here it comes. Are you ready? Yes, your cup of joy will This is what serving God should feel like. This is Christianity. Now, religion is uh, you're the hero of the story. You've got to be good enough to sway God's heart towards you. That's not Christianity. Christianity is uh, I'm a worshiper. Christ is the hero. And I receive all that is in Christ through grace. All right, stay with me uh, maybe a couple hours more. We'll see how it goes. Um, uh, So we read this. This is my connection. If I'm not connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, I will not have the spiritual component to the positiveness that I understand. I understand positive attitude. You understand positive attitude. If you didn't, you never had a good coach and you never played any sports. (laughs) You never had a good mom who told you to go out there and mow the lawn with a smile. You never had a good dad who told you to try again once more with feeling. Yeah, you understand attitude. Now let's add a spiritual component to understand what it means to be children of God. I am believing for good things to happen, but it's not happening by me. It's happening by God. I am connected to him. Number two, your story. Um, We all of us use narrative story to hide from pain and cope from struggle. All of us tell ourselves a story to lessen pain. And this story is usually a a toxic lie that we tell ourselves so we don't have to change and it can be someone else who's the bad guy and not us. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked with other people, but working with people can be very interesting. And can I have some agreement from people who work with people? Um, People are interesting and we are all people. So don't look down your knows. I've had employees that boldface lied to me. They lied. In fact, this happened to me not too long ago. I saw an employee that I fired him. I fired him. Why did I fire him? Because he lied to my face that he had done a project that he had not done. And the client called me and said, I'm standing right here. It wasn't done. And I met him a few weeks ago, and you know what he told me? Even though I didn't do anything wrong, I needed to have that happen in my life to grow in my own strength. And I sat there and I said, I will slap both sides of your face. (laughs) True story. It happened to me. mm, Jesus, help me. You see, he, it's painful to accept this truth. I'm the kind of person that will lie simply because I don't want to do it. That's a painful truth to face. So we don't do that. You tell yourself a toxic story. 
as though you're the good guy in the story and everybody else is bad. You're the good guy, everybody else is bad. And Jesus stands before you and says, the truth will set you free. And I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, the truth will set you free. You see, the story we tell ourselves can create in us a culture of doubt, a culture of fear, a culture of rage, a culture of blame. This is constrained living of the flesh. Face this truth. There's only one who is good, and it's none of us here. Jesus is good. So instead of telling ourselves a lie, what do we do? We repent and we surrender. I need mercy in my life. Now you're ready for spiritual freedom. Why? He's the hero of the story, and you're a worshiper. Um, let me give you an example of this in Scripture. Philippians 2, verse number 14. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Have you noticed there's some kind of people who cannot have an opinion without fighting over it because any other opinion is a threat to their identity? People who fight over everything, it's because your opinion is, not a, is a threat to their identity. That's why they fight over everything. If your opinion was not a threat to their identity, they would shrug and say, well, that's what they think. They would be able to hold an idea without being a threat to their identity. Whenever something is a threat to your identity, you then have to fight. You then have to break up. You then have to quit talking to your family members. You then have to act. You understand what I'm saying? Why? Because you are telling yourself a story that is painful to face. Or you're covering a story that is painful for face. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Do you see how the story we tell ourselves can directly relate in whether or not, Colossians 2 and 7, our lives overflow with thanksgiving for all that God has done? Or 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, no matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So my connection, my story. God, forgive us every time we use a lie to avoid facing a need for transformation. And God, let us be people of true repentance, not a type of religious self-covering, but true repentance, not a type of religious self-justification, but true repentance. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So wash me, cleanse me, and let me be changed by your Spirit. Amen. The third thing, I'm almost done, musicians come. The third thing, we talked about what I'm connected to. We talked about the story I tell myself. Now, this is some real world help right here. Number three, my habits will have a direct impact on whether or not I live in a spiritually oppressive, constrained, restricted life where I'm not enough, I never have enough, I'm always desperate, I'm always pleading, I'm never standing in confidence and faith, I do more pleading than worship. Or whether or not my mind has been transformed by the promises of God. And I say, in you I am enough, Lord Jesus. In you I have been covered. I stand not in my goodness. I stand in your goodness, Lord Jesus. I may never be good enough for salvation. Uh, thankful for me. There's been a covering in my life. And judgment sees the blood of the Lamb in my life and passes by. I have hope in you, O oh God. 
habits will impact how we live our life. Let me give you this, Proverbs 14 and 30. It's healthy to be content, but envy will eat you up. Say it with me. It's healthy to be content, but envy will eat you up. Now, you got to say it like you're a know-it-all, okay? You can't, you can't just say it like, you got to say it like you know it all. So use your neighbor, get your grandma finger out, point at your neighbor, and say it's healthy to be content, but envy will eat you up. So if anyone is not miserable enough, I'm going to give you a formula for misery, okay? This is a formula for misery, and it's a bad habit. This is a perfect example of how a bad habit destroys the limitlessness, overflowing sense of a life of faith. Here's a habit. This isn't the only habit. This is just a good one. So if you want to be miserable, make sure you take notes. Find somebody who has more money than you and compare yourself to them. You too can be a miserable, miserable person. Find somebody who's healthier than you and compare yourself to them. It's a terrible habit. It's a terrible habit. It's a terrible habit. I gave you the word of God. What? The truth shall set you free. It's healthy to be content, but envy will eat you up. We're talking about my connection. If I'm not connected to Jesus, if I'm not connected to Jesus, where am I going to get life from? This world is a scrabbling for possessions. It's not overflowing life. Secondly, if I lie to myself, it won't matter because I will be creating this environment where I'm the good guy. Everybody else is the bad guy. I've told myself this story of self-justification. Thirdly, if I have bad habits like comparing myself to other people, it won't matter if I got blessed at church. You can get blessed at church and then look on the wait in the parking lot at who got a new car and you will be griping at dinner. I'm on a new car. Well, sure, everybody does. Unless you have to pay for it. And then you may not want one so much. I don't want a new car. My car's paid for. I don't want another car. See what I'm saying? Habits, 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 habits. It's better, Ecclesiastes 4 and 6, it's better to be content with what you have than to always be struggling for more. That is like chasing the wind, chasing the wind, chasing the wind. Uh, So uh, number four, and we're going to close with this. Uh, We've already mentioned what am I connected with. We mentioned uh, what my story is. We've mentioned what my habits are. And number four, what about my heart? You see, remember this. Your heart reveals whether or not you want to overflow or you just want to be full. That's revealed by your heart. This is why, biblically, I'm about to make you mad at me, After church, I'll give you a great big COVID hug, and that'll be the end of it, and we'll just go on, because I'm leaving two weeks. In fact, I'm not even here right now. I'm already gone, okay? I'm already gone. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. In the Bible, it's the sign of whether or not you overflow to others is always a question of your heart. That's why, biblically, finances are always an issue of the heart. Not everybody wants to overflow. They just want to be full. Mm. Mm. Me and you, Sister Stella, me and you. Mm. Some people just want to be full. Man, 
Man, church was awesome. They just want to be full. Man, I got a raise. They just want to be full. And it's always a test of their heart whether or not you just want to be full or you want to overflow. All right? Stay with me. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. Remember this. A stingy planter will only reap a small crop. But anyone who sows generously will also reap generously. So each of you should give serious consideration. Serious consideration to what you want to give God. Not reluctantly or under pressure. For God loves a cheerful giver. And you can be sure that God is able to bless you. God can bless you with all His grace. So that in all things, at all times, you'll always have all you need. And you'll also... Talk back to me. Why? So you can give to every good work. Not everybody wants to overflow. Lots of people just want to be full. You know why you want to be full? Is because you're living with a scarcity mindset. And you're thinking that if I bless, there'll be less for me. So let's build bigger barns. Scarcity mindset. The Lord's inviting every one of us to be transformed in our mind. Not to live with this crushing sense of, well, I've got to do the best with what I have. But to have this sense that in Jesus Christ, all things are new. In Jesus Christ, I overflow. There is more than enough. Malachi 3 and 10. Bring your full tithe to the storehouse. Now, y'all did not know that on Mother's Day I was preaching on tithes. But I thought about my mom and I thought that'd be a good message to preach on right there. She would say amen to that message right there. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, God says. The only place, I teach this in first steps, the only place in the Bible where God gives you permission to test him is in finances. No other place. Every other place, biblically, it is wrong. It is to miss the mark every other place to test God. And we are warned against testing God because after all, who are you? But in finances, God invites us to test him. So let me tell you what I say in first steps. Uh, when we talk about finances, we don't do it every single lesson. But if it comes up, I, I talk about finances. This is what I say. Because God has invited us to test him. And because you're not in the habit of giving. And you haven't done your budget to give. And you haven't organized your stewardship to give. Um, what you need to do, what you need to do is you need to find something you can give. Don't worry about a tithe right now. Find something you can give as unto the Lord, as a test unto the Lord, and you give it and see if God doesn't bless you. You give it and you see if God doesn't bless you. And then I make this commitment to him. Then I make this commitment to him. If you aren't blessed, I'll give it back to you. Whatever you give, if you aren't blessed, I'll give it back to you. I have never had anyone come up to me and say, you know, I took you up on the test the Bible gives us, and I've found out that it doesn't work, and I was not blessed, and so I'm going to need that money back. Test me now in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until, talk back to me, until it until it 
God save us from the crushing limits of a scarcity mindset and create in us a sense of spiritual abundance that says God knows everything I need and he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think. How about Luke 6, verse number 38? If you give, you will receive back. Your gift will be returned to you in full measure, packed down, and shaken to make room for more. And what? And what? And what? And running over. Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. If you have done everything else, you're connected to the Lord, you are correcting your story, you're not letting yourself give yourself self-justifying lies like, <laughs> we heard you calling, but we were naked. And the Lord says, who told you you were naked? That's an example of a self-justifying lie. I don't have time to preach that, but it's in there for a reason. Uh, you are correcting your story. Number three, you are aware of how habits can kill your faith. If you've done all that right, if you don't have a heart to bless, you'll never overflow. And you will always be stuck in a limiting that's enough. Stay with me all over the house. Hallelujah. 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 The first, the, 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 the most important thing for all of us as we turn our hearts toward God um, is repentance and confession. Repentance and confession. There, you need both. Repentance and confession. Repentance is the negative. Confession is the positive. Repentance is not that. Confession is this. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You need both. That's why all spiritual journeys begin with repentance and confession. That's the beginning. You say not this and you speak what you will do, what you will be. That's why you confess that God is your Savior. That's why you confess that you are turning your heart toward God. And so I, in my, in my life, whenever I feel conviction of any type, I always start with repentance and confession. Repentance and confession. And so I want to ask uh, this of you, because I want to lead us all today in repentance and confession. Uh, I want to ask this of you, and I'll, I'll start by making it as a, a personal statement, and I'm going to ask you to join with me in this regard. Here you go. Are you ready for this? If I'm not careful, this preacher can live in a scarcity mindset. Now, how many people am I preaching here today who you would admit that that's, that's a reality? You can live in a scarcity mindset. You can live with the fear that you are not enough. You don't have enough. You don't know what to do. Um, as a pastor, my most common feeling of that is on Sundays, driving home. Why do I say that? And it's not just me. I talk to a lot of pastors. We all talk about this. Uh, I was talking to a pastor here recently, and he talked about the crushing drive home, the crushing drive home. And after we got off the phone, I, I thought about it, and I, I was considering it with empathy because I, I identified with the emotion. And what you realize is that um, if we're not careful as pastors, preachers, teachers, we come into this, this holy place, and we think that it's all on us. We think that if it wasn't good, it is our fault. Uh, if it was good, we can relax because we did it. This is a uh, manner in which preachers drive themselves crazy. <laughs> Are you ready for this? This is an example of saying, I've got to do it. I'm the hero in the story. So it's not just you. It's me. It's all of us. God, I'm praying today that we would be saved from the delusions of believing 
that the answer is in our ability and through our effort. We have to believe that the answer is in you here today. And every one of us who have found ourselves, come on church, pray with me right now. Your own words, your own style. Lord, every one of us who has fallen into this habit of uh, living a constrained life of faith, living this life where uh, we don't have enough and we're afraid and we're expecting bad things to happen and we're trying to be good enough and we're trying to be smart enough and we don't understand a sense of overflowing. God, we're repenting from that here today. I, I repent from that, Lord Jesus. I was never able in my flesh. I was never capable in my flesh. It was always about you doing a work and including me, never about me doing a work and including you. So save me, Lord Jesus, from a scarcity mindset. Save me from a scarcity mindset and give me the confidence to believe that the gifts you have given me should be invested because you will profit through those that investment. Lord, I don't want to hide a talent because I have a scarcity mindset. I want to believe that you can take a talent and you can multiply it for your kingdom. I don't want to have a scarcity mindset that believes I always have to be afraid of what's next. I want to have an abundance mindset that says, God, you're able to multiply whatever I can invest in the kingdom. Oh, God, we repent of that, and this is our confession today. In you, we are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. In you, we are able to manifest the power of God. In you, we are enough. In you, in you, we are enough. In you, we can make a difference. In you, we can raise our children to a place of successful faith. Lord Jesus, in you, we can be successful in careers and relationships. In you, we can be successful soul winners and Bible study teachers. In you, we can be a part of the vibrant ministries of the church. In you, people can receive healings when we pray for them. In you, we are not trapped in trying to have enough for us. We are called to be a testimony of the abundance of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Let it happen right here at First Church. Let it start on every row. Let it start on in every seat. Oh God, change us from fear. Change us to a sense of spiritual possibility. Help us live with a sense of strange, mysterious confidence that is not swayed by emotion and is not destroyed by setback and fear. But we are able to manifest your promise in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Oh, I feel the power of the Lord here today. How many of you have a specific need that you could identify here today? Raise your hand wherever you are. You have a specific need. It may be sickness. It may be family. It may be a financial need. Just right now, I want us all to pray together. I'm not going to make you come down to the front when you raise your hand. I never make you do anything. Uh, just raise your hand because I want the people around you to extend a hand towards you. So if you have needs, raise your hands all over the house. Now, church, look around. Find someone with their hand up and extend a hand toward them right now. If you're near them and it's appropriate, particularly if it's uh, someone you're already doing life with, go to them, put a hand on their shoulder right now. Uh, take their hand in faith right now. I'm going to open this altar up. Uh, those of you who want to linger in the presence of God, please don't rush away. I know we have plans. I know it's Mother's Day. Uh, I know people uh, sometimes have to go. That's fine. I get it. You can, you can slip out at any time. But I want to encourage all of you not to linger away. 
uh, or, or not to rush away. I'm going to encourage you to linger in this house. Uh, if you'd like to step out of where you are and come stand around the front, if you'd like to kneel uh, here at the front, if you'd like to kneel where you are, uh, let's, let's pray right now and let intercession work as a ministry among the body of Christ right now all across the church. Lord Jesus, you know every specific need that we're representing here today. Lord God, you know the person who needs healing in their body. You know the person who needs uh, definite, intentional demonstration of your power. I'm praying they would receive that this week as testimony, oh God. We're not simply pleading and begging. Uh, we're acknowledging you are the source. But we're worshiping you, Lord. We, we're worshiping you who can change all things. We're praising you who can make a difference in just a moment. You can make a difference with just a whisper. You can make a difference with just a, a single touch, Lord. Would you bless, would you heal, would you strengthen? In Jesus' name, church. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.